0: business home social how about your health could you make some changes of course you could but how and where to start this is turn the page with Hemda Mizrahi in this program we'll help you identify and make the changes in your life that need to be made and by doing so increase your potential for success and now here's your host Hemda Mizrahi
1: Welcome to Turn the Page. I'm Hemda Mizrahi in New York City, bringing you the occasional and sometimes frequent sounds of Manhattan, along with evidence-based techniques to improve your quality of life. While wellness may not be the first word that comes to mind when you think of plastic surgery, today's show will describe how good health practices can help you to optimize your surgical results. Our guest is Dr. Alan Beanstock a board certified plastic and reconstructive surgeon who practices in New York. Dr. Beanstock specializes in body contouring procedures for the massive weight loss patient, in addition to facial rejuvenation, and a procedure called the lip suspension, which creates a natural pout or cupid's bow. He's also gone back to the old fashioned way of practicing medicine by launching a house call program for non-invasive techniques like botox and juvederm which rejuvenate the face. The program is called Cosmetics on Call and I hear that he even uses a modern spin-off of the traditional doctor's bag. Most importantly as it relates to this show, Dr. Beanstock views cosmetic procedures as opportunities to augment rather than substitute for consistent wellness practices. Dr. Beanstock, welcome to the show. We know that anyone who is exploring cosmetic surgery is interested in achieving the best possible results. I'm eager to hear what you have to say about the relationship between cosmetic procedures and wellness.
2: Thank you, Hamda. First of all, you can call me Dr. B. That's what my patients all call me. So this is a great opportunity for us to talk about the impact of lifestyle on beauty and results in cosmetic and reconstructive surgery. We really need to address the preoperative, the perioperative and the postoperative necessity of instituting a wellness and health practice program. We can't just be cutters. There are trends to harness and incorporate wellness to enhance quality, safety and results. And most importantly, to ensure sustainability as well as maintenance. We like to call this a team approach where the doctor and the patients as well as other healthcare providers, whether they be nurses, nutritionists, can collaborate and empower the patient to pursue a healthy lifestyle. For example, I don't operate on, on smokers in the cosmetic elective arena due to the health risks uh, as well as the complications. It's also an issue for me regarding their healthcare commitment. Rather than tell patients just to quit smoking if they want to undergo elective surgery, I try to work with the patients to design a smoking cessation program that's realistic for them with their primary care doctor. I don't want them to view cosmetic surgery as just a quick fix or the smoking cessation is a quick fix. We need to work together to, completely, to get them to completely stop smoking.
1: What I'm hearing you say is that it's not just results, but also safety that can be compromised by poor wellness practices?
2: That's correct. Uh, health, health as well as wellness can really enhance safety and quality and mi- mitigate and minimize all the complications, morbidity that, that can uh, occur with cosmetic surgery, as well as with any surgery.
1: So in addition to minimizing complications, another facet of your approach that I was hearing is that you'd like to have a collaborative relationship with patients and also their healthcare practitioners.
2: Absolutely. Uh, Oftentimes, healthcare can be fragmented both in the elective cosmetic arena as well as the general internal medicine arena. And it's very important for doctors and healthcare providers all to work together with the patient. However, this means the patient needs to have accountability and responsibility. But the the healthcare provider, whether it be the plastic plastic surgeon, the internist, needs to work with the patient, empower them so they can take responsibility and work together to come up with a, a good... Uh, plan as well as guidelines to improve their health.
1: You also talked about smoking in the context of seeing plastic surgery as something that's not a quick fix and working with patients on smoking cessation. Would you say more about that?
2: Uh, Absolutely. So rather than just tell patients they need to quit smoking, we try to work with them, whether it be smoking, drinking, or other unhealthy healthcare practices. So we try to come up with a realistic uh, plan as well as an action uh, plan that they can implement that's realistic for them in order to get them to stop smoking, to minimize the drinking, to, for them to cut back on unhealthy foods. So it's, it's, it's a two-team it's a two, it's a team approach to do this. I
1: recognize that smoking can be a difficult issue, especially if it's something long-term. So I'm curious about what your success is around that.
2: Uh, that's a great question. Any addictive behavior can be very difficult to, to, uh, to treat uh, patients. So as far as getting patients to stop smoking, um, in my experience, it's, I can get about 30 to 40% to stop smoking. However, I, don't, I, can't, I can't tell if they're able to maintain that after the surgery. I usually, after three to six months, it's hard to sometimes follow up with the patients. If they're very happy, they, ch- they tend not to come back if they're really delighted with the results or uh, if they're unhappy or if there's an issue, you will follow up with them. But sometimes they, they withhold information whether they stop smoking or not.
1: And are these generally in cosmetic cases or reconstructive cases? Well, well, I
2: try to implement the same uh, guidelines with cosmetic and reconstructive. uh, However, in the reconstructive patients, sometimes I do have to operate regardless if they're smoking or not. However, really try to get patients to stop smoking uh, in both arenas.
1: What do you find is, uh, not to harp too much on the smoking, but if if you're listening and thinking to yourself, this is an issue that I have and... I'd like to do cosmetic procedures and I don't want it to come in the way and it'll give me an opportunity maybe to resolve something that I've been wanting to resolve. For those who do stop smoking, what what
2: helps them to stop? Most of my Sorry. patients have uh, tried to replace the unhealthy behavior with a healthy behavior. So with certain patients, uh, I, I've tried uh, the following. So I, I pick up food that they really like that's healthy. So one of my patients, she loves strawberries. So I said "There, anytime you have a craving for a cigarette, just have strawberries. So I always have strawberries with you at work or at, at, or at home. So anytime you're thinking of that cigarette, have a strawberry. Now strawberries can be in high in sugar, but it's much better for them to have strawberries rather than have a cigarettes. So they're trying to replace one addictive behavior with a very healthy behavior. And that has been generally the most success I've seen with my patients. It doesn't mean it's, it's the end all and be all to uh, stop smoking. I mean, there are certain medications or certain cognitive behavioral approaches. I'm not trained in that. So I don't encourage, I can not encourage patients to pursue that since that's not my, my, my set.
1: Right. So they can work with another practitioner who's really schooled specifically in helping people to stop smoking. Absolutely. It sounds like an interesting strategy that you're offering, though, to replace a behavior that causes health issues and may prevent good surgical outcomes with another behavior that is pleasing to the person.
2: Absolutely. And they generally... They generally like that. I mean, just like once you get into a, a routine, a muscle, I like to call it a muscle memory. If they can do this for three or four weeks. Then it becomes a little bit easier for them. It's usually the first few weeks of, of eliminating that behavior. But it's, for, it's very difficult to tell patients to eliminate one behavior. They have to have something to replace it or at least something that, that kind of fills that gap. And I've discovered at least having a healthy behavior, whether it be gym, a food, uh, a book, whatever it may be, People Magazine. Uh, these are things that uh, patients can really uh, identify with.
1: So you have this rehabituation process that's involved in goal setting, essentially, that they, there's a carrot, they're interested in doing this cosmetic procedure, and that's one thing that might help them to actually do something that they haven't been doing that they want to do.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Another thing, approach I do is uh, with the patients, I show pictures of, of various celebrities or people that are well-known that are, have been chronic smokers, and I show what they look like at age 60 and 70 versus those that haven't smoked, and they see some of the frightening results of how bad the skin looks. I mean, there's certain actors such as a Bridget Bardot who used to be the uh, the sex kitten uh, 40, 50 years ago. Now she looks significantly aged due to smoking. So I kind of use that. And patients generally know that there's terrible healthcare consequences with smoking, such as lung cancer, heart issues. But if you can really focus on uh, on a vanity picture with something that's a long term process, meaning what can happen 30 to 40 years down, 30 to 40 years down the road, they sometimes that will sometimes resonate with them. In addition to working with replacing the addictive behavior with a healthy behavior.
1: You have that visual, then that offers a reality check and is also connected to looking at their vision of the type of future that they want for themselves, how they see themselves
2: at a later point. Absolutely. It's very very easy for for physicians or healthcare providers to to verbalize, but sometimes when you show them something visual, and I I, I like to use a visual picture of a patient who was a chronic smoker and show them what they look like with wrinkles skin that's very aged and not having a youthful, rejuvenated look, that sometimes will really kick in because now they have an image of a face that's been, been aged due to smoking.
1: And that's obviously contrary to the reason that they come to see you in the first place. Absolutely. So it seems like that maybe hits the point a little bit closer to home.
2: Sometimes that hits the point, yes.
1: Would you share observations from your practice about who comes to you seeking cosmetic procedures and what types of services they're inquiring about?
2: Absolutely. I generally have a, a few niches that I like to address in, in the plastic surgery slash cosmetic surgery arena. Um, the subset of patients I generally see one is the massive weight loss patient. What I mean by massive weight loss is there are patients that have bariatric surgery or have natural weight loss and they lose you know anywhere from eighty to one hundred fifty pounds, sometimes more. And they some sometimes these patients do or do not have a good uh, support system where they they don't have good nutritional practices. So sometimes they don't exercise or they they do have solid practices. And uh, they often have the bariatric surgery without a multidisciplinary follow-up, meaning they're not seeing the bariatric surgeon or the nutritionist. So they're left to fend for themselves without direction or guidance. So I oftentimes will have to work with the patient, get them kind of back on track with the bariatric group, whether it be a support group, a uh, bariatric nutritionist, or the bariatric uh, surgical group itself, to arrange them to pursue and make dietary changes with or without a nutritionist. These patients frequently have resolved with diabetes and other health issues such as cardiovascular problems, heart disease, but we need to make sure they're receiving adequate supplements, protein, and other nutrients. Another patient that I frequently see are those that are looking for what we call mommy makeover. These are women who are in their 30s or 40s who have had two to three children, and oftentimes after having children, they get laxity or loose skin with stretch marks all throughout the abdomen. And when they were 18 or 20, they had a very tight, uh, slim waist and abdomen. Now they have uh, an abdomen that doesn't have that corset appearance due to post-pregnancy changes. So we want them to look uh, trim and tight, and We do this uh, via various body content procedures to rejuvenate the body to try to restore it to back what it was before they had children. Another group that I tend to see is those that are trying to lose weight via plastic and cosmetic surgery. These are patients that generally don't have a good lifestyle. Uh, they oftentimes have bad eating habits. Sometimes they do or do not exercise. They oftentimes sit in front of the television. And they don't have a good understanding of what are healthy foods or what are unhealthy foods. And these are patients uh, I don't deem as good candidates. A fourth group that, that I, uh, I see are professionals uh, who are looking for non-invasive techniques to enhance their appearance because they want to look refreshed. This may be for a job or for themselves or socially for dating purposes. I had a woman who just got divorced and she was looking for a new job. She was in her mid to late thirties, and she was looking to pr- explore non-invasive rejuvenation. She, she wasn't really interested in surgery at this time. She wanted to feel fresher and 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 to have a more confident uh, disposition. So I did non-invasive uh, things on her, and this seems to be uh, helping her restore her confidence, mm-hmm. both in the dating arena as well as the professional arena. Now, there's one thing we have to do in the plastic, sur- plastic surgery uh, domain is we have to address obvious psychological issues uh, that may or may not. Uh, allow patients to uh, have cosmetic surgery
1: there's something we
2: have to really tackle one thing that's written about in the literature that we see are patients that have body dysmorphic disorder what this is 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 a disorder where the the patients have a misperception of of physical characteristics of themselves meaning that there's something that's not that's not there something so minute where they're perceiving it as a gross disfigurement when there really there really is nothing there and this is more of a psychiatric psychological issue and these patients really would not benefit from surgeons it's it's completely contraindicated to operate on these patients
1: Mm. And what do you do in situations like that?
2: That those are tricky situations. We generally have a a, a consultation with them, and, and I try, to, I as well as my colleagues, try to address with them that surgery or certain enhancements won't well, fix it. This needs to be done at a with a counselor or a therapist or psychologist, energy worker to really address the psychological components behind their perceptions.
1: Mm. It's interesting because, given my background in coaching and counseling, my theory is that we're naturally oriented toward trying to find a better place of health in our lives. And sometimes we may approach that in a way that's not necessarily effective. And it seems that although people come to you seeking solutions, that sometimes you're in a situation where you think that plastic surgery can't provide the solution really for the problem they're looking to address.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That happens very frequently where the patient uh, is looking for a plastic surgery procedure to fix the problem when it not, may not be a physical characteristic. And I'd love to give you a, one story about a, a patient who we'll call Jill, who was a very attractive model and actress that is about 26, who came, complaining, came to me complaining of, about her nose. She felt like their nose was holding her back from getting uh, acting jobs. In my opinion, her nose was virtually perf- perfect based on uh, proportions and facial harmony. She had a gross misperception that she was not attractive and that this was holding her back. That was an unusual day. I had a lot of men in my office when she first came to me, and all the men in the waiting room had their jaws spontaneously detached, and they were drooling all over the, the shirts. Most of them were trying to take selfies with her. It was not an issue of, of her beauty, which uh, she put- beautifully possessed. She did not have a good center, or what I call it, like, she did not have a good balance or core. She had a perfect nose. It was her, dis- In my opinion, it was her depressed state and her insecurities that were holding her back. So I recommended that she pursue a therapist uh, and engage in counseling. Uh, as plus certain we have to really determine who are not good candidates based on aesthetics and those that have certain psychological profiles that don't make them good candidates. And oftentimes we have to be, we have to be resistant to operating these type of patients and we have to really find a better solution, whether it be with a therapist, a psychiatrist, an energy worker, Western approaches or Eastern approaches. It's an
1: interesting point you're making about determining whether or not a patient needs the surgery that they're asking for. How do you make that determination?
2: A lot of times it can be very subjective, but I try to use uh, objective analyses. Uh, usually is based on my uh, knowledge of facial harmony and beauty. And as an artist and a painter, I kind of embrace the Renaissance period of, uh, of facial harmony. So I try to use that. But there are certain characteristics such as uh, your nose to chin distance versus your nose to forehead distances. We look at photographs in addition to three-dimensional imaging and as well as proportions. Sometimes we rely on what we call the Fibonacci sequence, which is – a very complicated uh, number that, that determines for appropriate portion, proportions from the forehead to the nose and the nose to the chin. Um, if I'm seeing other factors other than kind of cosmetic issues as well as proportions that are driving precision, it becomes an ethical question at that point. Mm-hmm.
1: We're going to go to a short commercial. I'm Hemda Mizrahi speaking with Dr. Alan Beanstock, a board-certified reconstructive and plastic surgeon. When we come back, Dr. B will talk about more scenarios he sees in his own practice Stay with us to gain additional insights that will help your decisions as they relate to cosmetic procedures.
0: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business
1: Network. Imagine you hired a designer to redo your kitchen. Working with an expert to meet your needs with such a high. You're enjoying the new feature so much that you're waking up early to write the book that's been in your head for five years. The raised Caesarstone countertop and cushioned back stool are your writer's desk. With this comes the realization that all of the rooms in your home need to be redone to match the level of your kitchen. This scenario demonstrates my approach to executive and lifestyle coaching. It involves understanding what compatibility means to you at different times in relationships, career, nutrition and other quality of life areas. It's also about elevating your game personally and professionally. Given my multidisciplinary expertise, we can address a range of needs that are critical to your fulfillment and success. I'm Hemd Mizrahi, Managing Director of Life and Career Choices, a global executive coaching and concierge practice. Learn more about my services and contact me through lifeandcareerchoices.com.
0: You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page.
1: I'm Hemda Mizrahi. We're back with Dr. Alan Beanstock. Dr. B is a board-certified plastic and reconstructive surgeon. We've been talking about the importance of wellness in making good decisions about plastic and reconstructive surgery. And where we lo- left off actually was about the topic of ethics in situations where patients may come in looking for procedures that the doctor deems are really not necessary or suited to them. Would you like to add a little bit more about the ethical dimension?
2: Absolutely. So oftentimes we are, we are, we are uh, confronted with patients who really... Are not good candidates from a physical slash cosmetic perspective. And this is where training comes in as well as your own uh, kind of moral fiber, determining who's a good candidate, and who's not. Oftentimes the most difficult time is to, is to figure out who really is not a candidate and, and to say no to them. And this is something that we're confront, confronted with all the time. And patients can try to twist your arm or they really present a skewed uh, picture, but you have to go with your kind of inner gut or uh, what I call a spidey sixth sense to say that if they really don't they don't you don't feel that they're a good candidate that there's nothing wrong with saying no to that patient.
1: So, looking at plastic surgery from the standpoint of wellness can also mean that you tell a patient that a procedure isn't necessary if that's what you determine based on your medical
2: expertise. Right. Oftentimes, you really have to incorporate the mental health of the patient as well as the, the cosmetic-slash-physical characteristics in determining who is a candidate and who's not a candidate.
1: You talked about situations in which prospective patients were not good candidates. You, is there an example that you can share of a patient that was a good candidate and what the outcomes were?
2: Sure. So there was a patient uh, who was a 47-year-old male, well, referred to as Gustav, who had a very large nose that did not match the rest of his face. He described his nose as, as a potato nose. He felt that this was holding him back. He was chipper, but his nose uh, made him awkward in involving interactions, both professionally as well as with women. He did not want a tiny nose, but one that matches face. He seemed to have very realistic expectations with what a rhinoplasty or nose job would do. So we took him to the operating room. We fixed his bridge, which is the the highest portion of the nose, in between the eyes, and did a a moderate tip reduction. So three weeks, three months after his uh, after his procedure, and he recovered pretty well. He's super happy, and now he has a partner who is of his age. In addition, he's advanced his career. He received a promotion. He's no longer afraid to pose in family photographs. He finally has a LinkedIn as well as a Facebook pro- profile. And the last time I checked in I, I, uh, on his Facebook profile, I saw that he was on vacation with his current girlfriend.
1: Mm-hmm. You're keeping track, I see. <laughs> yes. It seems to speak to the point that you made really about having a strong collaborative relationship with the patient where you're, you take an interest really in their personal life satisfaction.
2: Uh, absolutely. I try to treat, treat, treat these patients as though they're one of my family without having without approaching to an unprofessional uh, relationship with them.
1: You were talking about your view of cosmetic surgery as something that's not a quick fix. And this story seems to really speak to that, that while we may think of cosmetic procedures or many of us may think of cosmetic procedures as vain or superficial, this is, is an example of a profound shift in someone's life that occurred that it's no small matter to feel comfortable taking photographs seems like a very significant issue because essentially you're really tracking the history of your life, you're tracking your memories in photographs, and to feel really good about that can make a very big difference. You also talked about the relationship impact and the impact that appearance can play on career advancement.
2: Absolutely. I mean, this patient, he had a large gap in between High School to age forty seven where he didn't want to take any photographs, so even though it can be looked as a as superficial or and and uh, and procedure vanity, this really changes life enormously from a confidence level and uh we made a- you know major change as far as his ability to interact uh in the professional realm as well as the social realm
1: You can equate it to memory loss <laughs> I' say right if you're saying that the the photographs are really capturing our memory
2: yeah absolutely.
1: When you discussed the types of individuals who come to you seeking cosmetic procedures, you talked about those who are interested in weight loss. Would you share some scenarios along these lines that relate to wellness?
2: Absolutely. So it's not uncommon where I see patients who I really do not deem as good candidates. So a few months ago, I saw a patient who was uh, 225 pounds and she was five foot four inches. And when we calculate what we call BMI or body mass index, she was well over 35, which meant that she was... Uh, more than overweight, she was a uh, borderline obese to uh, very obese. She, had lots, she ate lots of processed foods, uh, fried fast foods. She loved to go to Popeye. She ate lots of sweets. She consumed a lot of breads, uh, particularly bagels, and she never exercised in the past five years. She had type, type, type 2 diabetes mellitus, uh, and she came to me. She wanted to have like liposuction or uh, lipos, uh, what we call just regular liposuction of her abdomen back and flanks. She was not interested in making lifestyle changes or any, engaging in any health uh, care practice changes. So I made, I made suggestions and I said that I would work with her to come up with a gradual process to, for her to pursue a better lifestyle regimen. I encourage her to start with small steps. I told her that she was not currently good, uh, a good candidate for health reasons and for cosmetic results. Uh, patients can have a procedure, that, but they, they need to be active in lifestyle and wellness. Obesity significantly increases complication rates from wound healing problems uh, to recovery. And this has been well described in the literature. I, ha- I want to give uh, another example. I had a 31 year old male who had a tummy tuck or abdominoplasty by another surgeon several years ago while he was uh, obese. He was uh, over 300 pounds and he was five foot five. I was on call one night at one of the hospitals in New York City and he was admitted to the hospital for, for infections of his abdomen following his, uh, his tum- tummy tuck. So, over the course of the next three months, I performed multiple operations where I had to drain and debride his uh, deep abscess or pus pockets in his abdomen. He had really bad infections with a very unusual bacteria, what we call a a polymicrobial infection. And after this, he subsequently got a a hernia of his his abdominal wall. We took him to the operating room, I think, three to four times for washouts and to manage infections. We had a a specialist uh, from the infectious disease team, as well as general surgery involved. He was in the hospital for two stints and uh, was in there for approximately about a month to six weeks. He was out of work for three months. So, this is a perfect example of why we need to be more selective of who we operate in regarding elective cosmetic surgery. This is someone who really needs to pursue weight loss and lifestyle changes to enhance his results. If he was going to have cosmetic surgery down the road. And unfortunately in this scenario, this is this is what can happen when, when you operate on patients who are not suitable candidates.
1: So we know that sometimes we may find ourselves in situations like these two patients that you described that really are cumulative, that they reflect all of the years of behaviors that maybe we haven't been so conscious about or conscientious about. And it would be interesting to be able to offer some strategies when you look at wellness, aside from these two situations in which it was, we know that it can be very difficult. If you're in a situation where you find yourself in the hospital and you have serious health issues, you're really getting a reality check about the changes you need to make in your life. And that could be very overwhelming. Is there a scenario of a patient who did have some significant health challenges and was able to implement some specific wellness practices and actually get to the point of doing the surgery and have some positive outcomes? Yes, I've had
2: several patients who have made major changes in their life. Uh, I had a patient named, uh, we'll call Judy, who had bariatric surgery t- to lose weight. She was, uh, <clears throat> she was what we would describe as someone who has a poor uh, lifestyle, she felt that she had no reason to live. She was burdened with so many medical problems from diabetes to heart disease, to arthritis. She was house ridden and could barely walk. Uh, So she she felt almost to the point beyond depression and she knew that she was going to die unless she had bariatric surgery. She tried to lose weight uh, naturally with exercise as well as uh, changing her nutrition but she just could not lose the weight even with doing this four to five times a week. So she had bariatric surgery and she subsequently lost 200 pounds. Following the bariatric surgery, she was noted to have excess skin on her arms, back, breast, and thighs, as well as her abdomen. Even though the bariatric surgery completely changed her life and completely eliminated all of her health issues, such as her diabetes and her heart disease, she was left with a lot of excess skin in all of all these areas. Now that she had all this excess weight, she was finally able to bike and swim. She and her family became what we call pescatarians or vegetarians who eat fish. And unfortunately, no exercise and diet could get rid of the excess skin of her, her entire body. This is a perfect patient who was so motivating and maintained this healthy way for three years. And I felt she was a great con- candidate for uh, a total body lift. So I performed a total body lift on her, which has been an eight, eight to 10 hour procedure in the hospital. And she had a great result. I mean, some of this I attribute to her motivation level. It's the fact that she pursued a really health- healthy lifestyle. However, she also incorporated uh, non Western approaches such as recce, acupuncture, and had an unbelievable healing process and had much less pain than most of the patients I've, I've done a body lifts on. And I think this is a great example of how Eastern practices can really complement Western surgery. Things like energy work, acupuncture, nutrition, herbs, I've really seen these these help with recovery enhanced results, both with scarring as well as actual cosmetic contour. We just have to find a way that we can implement this and introduce this to the mainstream and that they can incorporate this into the normal regimen.
1: So it seems that you were talking earlier about bariatric procedures and how the bariatric procedure itself is an enormous help and then at the same time, you really need to supplement it with a healthcare plan for the longer term in order to really build on the results and sustain the benefits. And in her, in her case, she got a boost from this bariatric procedure, and she was able to incorporate a variety of different modalities that have to do with physical health, emotional, psychological, spiritual health that really helped to lift her.
2: Absolutely. I mean, it's always easy for us to tell patients try to lose weight naturally, but certain people have a metabolic syndrome, and Judy had that. And the, the bariatric surgery really was an ignition for her to pursue healthy practice after she lost the weight. I mean, she, felt, she obviously felt good about herself so that she was able to lose the weight, but I think that gave her the encouragement and the confidence to pursue healthier lifestyles regarding ex- finally being able to exercise because she didn't have the weight on her knees. She's able to pursue uh, healthy nutrition because her husband got motivated. They, they, they worked together as a team.
1: So one positive change really led to another that essentially she was freed up to exercise more freely as a result of the procedure. And it sounds like there's also a team approach that was built into it in her working together with her husband toward healthy practices.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I think they, the interplay was, was fascinating with, with, with Judy and her husband, where they both got motivated by her losing weight. He actually got into better shape. She got into better shape. They were kind of almost almost competitive, but almost a collaborative competitiveness between the two of them. They were biking. They were swimming. They were really, really for, uh, enforcing themselves to eat, eat eat healthier foods, and really enhance their lifestyle. And I think both of them told me that they had a much happier marriage, as well as they were individually happier, which is a really beautiful story.
1: All of these things seem like improvements that they were able to make together, and that that boosted the relationship.
2: A- absolutely, I don't think she would been able to do this by herself. So I think having her husband, as well as the rest of her family so supportive and, and encouraging it was, 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 was part of the picture as well.
1: I was thinking as you were speaking about the difference between those who have a hard time really making that leap. And in some ways it's a leap, in other ways it seems like it's a really incremental approach. Maybe that might be more effective for a lot of people mm-hmm. since change can be hard. And are there any factors that you would say, in this case there was a team approach, she was concerned also about her survival, and her quality of life. Are there any other aspects that you would recommend? Also, if if you're listening and you're thinking to yourself, I'm in this situation where I want to lose weight, I'm considering a bariatric procedure, what are some steps that people can put into place that might help them really to move forward
2: along those lines? That's a great question. So a lot of these patients I recommend, if if they've not able to lose weight naturally or incrementally and they've really tried and they've they've felt dejected and dispirited, uh these are patients I encourage you to go to a bariatric support support group. There are a lot of academic programs as well as private programs that have that have uh a multidisciplinary approach. And before they have surgery, these patients are encouraged to go to the support groups as well as be involved in meeting the whole the whole bariatric team, including the nurses, the doctors, the nutritionists. So that at least that at least is a good switch for them to see what can happen, what's involved and so forth. It's not a simple process, but at least they're made aware of it and are encouraged by patients who have had it done and have had successful results.
1: Having that infrastructure of support then you have seen has made a difference between those who have been able to really move past the bariatric procedure, use it as an important stepping stone to make further enhancements in their health.
2: Absolutely. I mean, in many cases, I've seen it as, as a jumpstart to really changing their wellness and their healthcare practices. Unfortunately, there are those that just that, that use the bariatric surgeon and they don't pursue any changes. Those patients tend not to have a significant improvement and change in healthcare practices.
1: You also mentioned about this particular patient who was very successful in engaging the bariatric procedure to move forward along with her husband in creating a healthier lifestyle and a better relationship. You mentioned that she had much less pain and less scarring than you might typically see for similar procedures. Are there some common denominators that you've observed with patients who tend to have better results?
2: Patients I've seen that have had better results really are very are very strict uh, with their with their, their diet and their nutrition. They're taking supplements, they're taking vitamins. They really have a good healthcare practices. And it, uh, but in addition, they also have I think mind uh, wellness and mind and mind approaches, meaning that using, whether it be yoga, whether it be acupuncture, whether it be some sort of energy work, whether it be recce and and things like that, I've really seen those patients do the best because they're looking at it as a whole spiritual as well as physical phenomena that's going on with them. They're not just separating the body from the mind. They're incorporating practices that really help with the body and mind uh, healing.
1: So the difference seems like it's a holistic approach because there's so many different facets that can impact a person's level of pain and scarring.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I think using 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 both modalities together, one complements the other. It, we, it's what we call the modern Neoplatonic philosophy, where a beautiful mind complements a beautiful body, and vice versa.
1: And in terms of recommending approaches to a patient, if you have a patient who comes in, how would they go about really putting together a team of people who can support them?
2: That's that's. Uh, particularly relevant to the patient's motivation. I mean, oftentimes they really have to pursue uh, what's the best avenue for them. I can't recommend one specific course, just like I don't recommend one type of diet. I don't tell all my patients to become vegetarians or vegans. They have to figure out what works for them. So a lot of the times it ends up being word of mouth. I think if they have a good role model in their life, whether it be a family member or a friend, pursuing uh, different avenues and getting recommendations who can help them uh, both, with, uh, the whole, uh, both as a, a holistic measure Involving the mind and, and body.
1: We're gonna to go to a short commercial. I'm Hem Mizrahi, speaking with plastic and reconstructive surgeon Alan Beanstock. Stay tuned for more of Dr. Beanstock's suggestions for those who are considering cosmetic procedures.
0: Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
1: Imagine you hired a designer to redo your kitchen. Working with an expert to meet your needs was such a high. You're enjoying the new features so much that you're waking up early to write the book that's been in your head for five years. The raised Caesarstone countertop and cushioned back stool are your writer's desk. With this comes the realization that all of the rooms in your home need to be redone to match the level of your kitchen. This scenario demonstrates my approach to executive and lifestyle coaching. It involves understanding what compatibility means to you at different times in relationships, career, nutrition, and other quality of life areas. It's also about elevating your game personally and professionally. Given my multidisciplinary expertise, we can address a range of needs that are critical to your fulfillment and success. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, Managing Director of Life and Career Choices, a global executive coaching and concierge practice. Learn more about my services and contact me through lifeandcareerchoices.com.
0: You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email to hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to
1: Turn the Page. I'm Hemda Mizrahi. We're back with plastic and reconstructive surgeon Alan Beanstock. With the goal of optimizing the results that you can achieve through cosmetic procedures, Dr. B has been talking about the importance of maintaining good health and wellness practices. We last spoke about a candidate for surgery who turned out to have very positive outcomes and a really transformative experience in her life marrying the bariatric procedure with the body contouring and then making some long-lasting health changes. Are there any other examples that you might share about some results that were really promising and and very uplifting?
2: So I had a a 27-year-old male lost in a hole named Charles who lost 120 pounds naturally. He was obese and uh, supremely depressed just like Judy was, and he felt like he was going to die if he did not lose weight. He changed his whole life around. He made nutrition exercise part of his uh, entire daily regimen. He got a high from uh, working out, from running uh, 30 minutes a day, as well as hitting the gym. He got such a high from this that uh, he was able to lose uh, this 120 pounds over a year and a half period. And similar to Judy, even though he was so great in losing the weight, he had excess abdominal skin as well as droopy breast, or what he liked to call ma- uh, uh, man boobs. So we did an abdominal tummy tuck on him as well as a male breast reduction via a boomerang flap. And uh, he's about six months out from surgery and he's so happy and delighted with the results that the surgery complemented his whole lifestyle as well as his approach. His motivation and lifestyle practices, uh, in my opinion, enhances results as well as recovery. His, now bo- his, his body now matches his mind, his well being, his philosophy and ethos all dovetail with his beautiful scars.
1: Mm. That's a nice story. In his particular situation, then he managed to lose weight by going to the gym and adopting healthy practices and didn't actually go to bariatric surgery as an option?
2: Right. I mean, there are, there are certain pa- patients they are unfortunately a minority who are able to lose the weight naturally. I mean, this involves se- uh, severe dedication, meaning working at sometimes one to two hours a day, as well as uh, making major na- nutritional changes to one's regimen.
1: What's the difference between someone who might be a better candidate for bariatric surgery as a first step, as opposed to really tackling
2: the weight loss on their own. Well, I would recommend, I recommend tackling the weight loss on their own first, but this is, this is a major, this is a major mind and body transition and change. I mean, in order to do that, it's not just cutting, it's not just cutting calories. And I think we focus too much on calories. It's really changing eating practices, exercise, as well as mind and body uh, philosophy. And my my opinion is, is, you try to pursue it via natural processes first that's proven to fail after a year or two, then you can go to the bariatric procedures.
1: It sounds like it's really about each person understanding what their stepping stones need to be. And in the case that you described prior to this person who was very successful in losing weight by going to the gym, the bariatric procedure really had a boost effect that as a result of the procedure, she was able to exercise. That really liberated her to delve into the exercise part so it really just all depends on where each person's at and what their specific needs are.
2: Right, Judy and Charles were, to- were, to- were in totally different ballparks. He was not to the point of obesity of obesity where he couldn't work out. She was, and she had such knee pain that she couldn't even barely get out of bed. So mm-hmm. the two different, the two, two different paradigms. So I don't want to draw comparisons between the two, but they both lost weight via their own via their own process.
1: It also seems to bring up the point that as we're looking at ourselves around what we need to feel better, to look better, that it's important also in some ways that to compare ourselves to other people and to be overly judgmental because in each situation, the successes are possible as is shown by these illustrations.
2: Yeah, that, that's, that's correct. I mean, each person is different. Each, each, uh, each thing has to be tailored to the individual person. There's not one absolute uh, regimen or process that works for each, each person.
1: You identified nutrition, exercise, some mind-body approaches, more of a holistic approach that overall has been extraordinarily helpful for some of your patients to have successful procedures to generate great results. I'd like to learn a little bit more about the recovery process and also the process of sustaining results. What are some necessary measures that you would say are key for recovery and sustaining results?
2: So, in my opinion, patients really need to have an active role uh, as well as participation in their own recovery. Some in- individuals and, and patients want the surgery to be the end all and be all for everything. Uh, I look at patient need to being an active participant, and it's a team effort. It's not just them. It's it's myself. It's the nursing team. It's it's their husband or their wife or their children. Uh, when I give presentations or talks to patients, I give them the analogy that the relationship. Is, is an actor is an actor and a director relating to the patient meaning that the the doctor or myself is the director and the actor is, is the patient where we're on, on stage together working together where the patient just can't be a spectator at the theater Bad practices such as fast food high carb sweets and smoking can really jeopardize the result and I, I tried to work with the patients to, to eliminate these type of behaviors so I'll give you I'll give you the example of a reconstructive patient who I did a week. Re- a reconstructive flap on her knee. She continued to smoke after the procedures, and her wounds broke down, and she subsequently got an infection, and she required additional surgery. Smoking and, and, and high carbs as well as sugars are known to increase complications rates, sometimes 18 to, to 1, as well as leading to infections. She had a long, very long postoperative recovery, uh, in, particularly in comparison to a similar patient who was not a smoker, who had the same procedure. He was a former Marine and a health fanatic, and he recovered after four to five weeks without any difficulties, without any skin breakdown. Uh, I've had a a patient who uh, underwent liposuction and we did a great job. We get a very good result, but she did not follow our lifestyle changes in our regimen. She continued uh, eating bad foods. She wasn't exercising and she subsequently gained weight as a result. Even though she didn't put fat on the areas we liposuction, she put fat fat on in other areas, which kind of defeats the whole point of having elective cosmetic surgery. So even though her abdomen and flanks were significantly better contoured, she developed fat in her lateral thighs and inner thighs and they looked much thicker and she was not happy. So, in my opinion, was it really worth it to spend the money, the time and undergo surgery as well as recovery and not obtain the ideal results because the healthy practices were not instituted and maintained. So, I look at as plastic surgery and cosmetic surgery in these scenarios to be a jumpstart, but it's not the only factor in recovery and outcomes. Patients really need to be active participants and not spectators in their lifestyle and health.
1: Just like any other investment, if you want the highest return on your investment, which I would guess most of us do want, there's a planning process that's involved whereby you need to look at all the dimensions. And from one standpoint, it's very empowering because the model of healthcare more traditionally has been to rely very heavily on the skill and the knowledge base of the healthcare practitioner for achieving the best results and the model that you're talking about really is more of seems like where medicine is going today that we have much more of a say in what our results will be we have much more of an influence in what our results will be and at the same time it certainly requires another big investment that's aside from financial
2: right I mean I think the laissez-faire attitude in medicine where the healthcare provider is the, only, is the only factor is becoming kind of an, an extinct philosophy. I mean, I think right now, particularly young physicians are really trying to empower their patients to be responsible for their own health. So this means, you know, this means a total change and shift in paradigm of, of how healthcare is practiced, both in cosmetic surgery, as well as in medicine itself uh, intrinsically. Patients can no longer just pre- uh, expect to get a prescription for a physician for treatment. They have to be involved in, in their own health have to understand what's going on. Just to give just to give a patient a prescription to lower the cholesterol doesn't mean that they're addressing other sources. Why do they have elevated cholesterol? Why do they have high blood pressure? What's going on? And oftentimes there's uh, inherent factors that are leading to these causes. So rather than just put a Band-Aid on things, like how medicine has been practiced over the past few decades, we really need to get to the source of things. And this is where public health really comes in, and I think it's really intrinsically linked to cosmetic surgery as well as wellness practices. So I think we really need to enforce... Uh, physicians as well as patients to be active participants with with the physician, with the healthcare providers.
1: So in a sense, there's no finish line. We're really talking about like the shift from dieting to uh, wellness as a lifestyle, that there's a continuum. And on this continuum, we have how do we set the stage to have a successful procedure, to have the best results that we can, the best recovery that we can, and to sustain the results. And... You need to put together really a plan that includes all of the different facets of health to strengthen a person and then that really positions someone for transformation rather than just for change.
2: Yeah, I agree with that 100%. It's, it, it, basically, it's like studying for an exam. You can't just cram the night before. This is a continual process. It's almost like a, Socrates always considered himself a perpetual uh, student. Well, we have to be perpetual students of our own health and our wellness practices and this involves not just being as an individual, this involves the entire family, the entire community as a whole. So, you know, family members have to be involved as being supportive as well as helping and giving encouragement as well as, you know, being part of the whole, the whole wellness practice itself.
1: What kind of time investments are we talking about when you're taking a look at preparation for surgery? in terms of implementing wellness practices so that you're in a certain place where you can really position yourself for good results?
2: There's no definitive answer on that. I like really patients to engage at least in you know, four to six weeks of healthy practice, at least get them on track or at least, at least have some sort of improvement. It can be a very small steps, but small steps will lead to, to larger steps down the road. Um, I don't generally like to operate on patients if uh, I've seen healthy behaviors, unhealthy behaviors, and they've not made major, they've not made an attempt to, to change the, those sort of uh, behaviors. Uh, however, I usually like to have the loved one, whether it be a child or a husband or or, uh, or wife, be present with them because it has to be a, it has to be a sustained effort where the family has to be uh, participate in this process as well.
1: How do you evaluate progress? You talked about a four to six week period in which an individual would make and sustain positive changes in their health?
2: Well, it's always difficult to determine whether they really making changes. Oftentimes I can see it, and you can see it physically. I mean, it's, I don't ju- judge weight loss as, as a way of, of establishing health, but if you see that they look better in their clothing or they have a happier disposition, in my opinion, that means that there's obviously some sort of change in health behaviors that have led to this uh, enhanced disposition. Oftentimes the patient will come with a friend. A sister, a relative, or a loved one, and they can vouch for the patient that they see. They see a difference already, even before you've done the procedure.
1: So there are visual changes and anecdotal changes that are reported to you by the patient and maybe someone who's with them, part of their community. Yeah.
2: I try not to engage in logs like like other professions do. I just feel like I, I have, that's something I have to, tr- to trust the patient, and after I've developed a relationship with them.
1: What about the recovery period? Can you talk a little bit more about that? You, you mentioned some of the procedures that you do, and it sounds like those are not simple procedures.
2: No, it, it, is, uncommon, it is uncommon for patients to think that as a quick recovery, like you're getting your hair quaffed or your nails done. That means surgery recovers incisions, scars, and patients really need to be compliant with the post-operative regimen. There will be pain. Anyone that thinks they're not gonna be pain is, is being a little bit unrealistic. There will be swelling and bruising, uh, patients as well as loved ones need to be realistic about their recovery period. You won't be able to go to the gym for at least three to six weeks. And this is the most important time to engage in healthy practices, particularly when it comes to nutrition and diet. This means avoiding, uh, avoiding processed foods, salty foods, which can increase swelling. You really need to increase your protein and, and uh, green or vegetable load. This is not the time to be having high carbohydrates and a lot of glutens. You really need to, to also eliminate stress in the household. So, I have a lot of patients who are surrounded by neurotic family members, and these, these types of uh, environments are, are are the worst as far as, uh, uh, as far from a healing standpoint. You need to be comfortable in your own environment. The family as well as friends and loved ones need to be supportive. That means they have to be active players in helping the, the patient to recover. Uh, this is something that patients't can't, can't do alone. You need to have help, whether it be a mother, husband, friend or child. And you can't expect to walk up five, five flights of stairs. So if we're in New York City and people live in a walk-up, they need to come up with other accommodations because it's, it's too stressful on the body and the mind to have to walk up uh, five flights of stairs every single day. Uh, I had a patient uh, who wanted a rhinoplasty nose job as a teacher one week before, before starting school last year. And she had, she had no help and did not realize that she'd be black and blue after the procedure. She thought she was going to be able to go to, to, to class Uh, one week after the procedure, and she didn't realize that she was going to have a a bandage or cast on her nose with black and blue. And she thought she was going to be good to go after three days of afternoon procedure. So we had to disabuse her of this kind of false information that she had in her head and and schedule for the following summer. So, which was this past summer. So she would have a realistic recovery period and was not going to be going to class with a a bandage and black and blue eyes like, like she got beat up by Mike Tyson. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) It seems like these are really important points. We may envision the results that we're going to get, that we envision that we're going to look better, we envision that we might be more confident, we'll have more spring to our step, and it's important not to underestimate, though, the process that it takes to get there and to make sure that you have the necessary supports and also accommodations that you need in order to achieve a positive recovery and to
2: sustain your results. Oh, yeah, yes, oftentimes the operation is actually the easy part. It's all the preoperative workup and the postoperative care and follow-up that are the most important parts in determining the results, outcome, and safety. And these are things I try to accentuate with my patients. I go over kind of scenarios before the operation as well as after operation what needs to be instilled and instituted. Dr.
1: B, if a family member or friend came to you with an interest in cosmetic procedures, what advice would you give those individuals? So
2: I try to... Uh, emphasize to patients that uh, if they want to increase their health as well as their inner happiness this can lead to to change in their beauty as well as and in, in their inner and outer appearance um oftentimes this may require small or large changes in their ex- exercise and nutrition they need to be really active in their own wellness um if you're considering cosmetic surgery please understand that it's not a jump start it is not a definitive and singular fix you have to be an active participant not not a spectator
1: Great tips from Dr. B about making good choices related to cosmetic procedures and how you can play a more active role in optimizing your results through wellness practices. Dr. B, thanks for these invaluable suggestions.
2: Hamda, thanks. It was so great to be on the show, and we talked a lot about wellness in the plastic surgery arena.
1: Well, if someone's interested in learning a little bit more about what you do, your approach, and exploring the possibility of using your services, what's the best way to contact you?
2: I think the easiest way is to reach me by email, which is info at drbeanstock.com. Info at drbeanstack, dot com. Thank you so much. We talked a
1: lot today about preparing for plastic surgery. One vital aspect of preparation relates to your financial health. Next week's show will provide valuable guidance along these lines. Coaching entrepreneur Janet Hussman will talk about three steps to financial well-being, which will be about understanding how your belief systems and the way you set goals and envision your success affect your relationship with money. Tune in next week and remember to make the grass greener where you are. This is Hemda Mizrahi with Turn the Page.
0: Thank you for tuning into our program. Turn the Page can be heard live every Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week's show, enjoy your weekend and make one change in your life before then.